you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Hebrews 13, I ask for your forgiveness. I forgot to set the outline out, so our dear brother Frank's going to pass them along just to help you in our time this morning in our study. Um, maybe it was so you couldn't look ahead before we started the sermon. So <laughs> It is a privilege to be back here among you. Thank you for allowing me to be away last week in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, preaching there. Uh, the church there, the brethren, Pastor Christopher Sheffield and his family send their greetings, pray for them, pray for another elder to be granted to them, and the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ be among them. The Lord has graciously seen it fit to give us another Sabbath day to enjoy Him, to worship Him, and to be among God's people. That is a tremendous privilege, a blessing, and honor. And for some of you who have not been able to do that in the past couple of weeks, you even feel that this morning. The great blessing it is to be gathered with God's people. As we're continuing our series preaching through our church covenant this morning, this could be a unique time for you if you are visiting with us, if you're not a member of this church. We don't always preach through our church documents in this way. The majority of our time, we do preach through, expositionally, books of the Bible. But in God's providence, as we saw fit as your pastors to remind us all as members of this local church of our glorious responsibilities and remarkable privileges to God and to one another. This is what our church covenant exists for is to do that. When you join this church in membership, you are covenanting to these things. So here we are uh, in our penultimate sermon, the second to the last of this series. And we're going to be focusing on today the church's responsibility to its pastors. So as I said, if you're visiting with us, this may seem strange. Uh, if you've never heard something like this, but our aim, my aim, my desire is this morning to open up God's Word and see what it has to say regarding how we as members of this church, of every local church, should look to our pastors, should give our responsibilities, our duties to them. God's Word is the fundamental source in our endeavors to do this. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, that's the source of authority as we heard this morning in our adult Bible class. And our business is to open up God's Word to seek to understand it, to submit ourselves entirely to it, to not just ascend mentally in our minds to what's written on these pages, but to embrace them with our hearts. We are not concerned with the opinions of men, brothers and sisters, but we seek to please God and hear the great voice of our great Chief Shepherd. The most difficult things in this series, if I'm going to be honest, is cutting down and trimming all the material out. I labor this week to try to hone in exactly what do we need to focus in. Because even in this, we'll see there are two elements of this part of the covenant. And it's so broad and there could be so much said to it. And there are many who have said so much more than I'm going to say this morning. And I get it, no one wants to sit and listen for two hours to a sermon. That's not our custom. But maybe we should consider that since we don't have an evening service to open up a little longer tonight. <laughs> But I don't believe that would be profitable, spending a couple hours running through this. So I ask your patience, but also your gracious favor and disposition as I've tried to trim and labored on what exactly we need to hear at Emmanuel Baptist Church as members of this church today. And that is all done with the purpose of the edification of God's people and the salvation of sinners. If you're here today without Christ, the first thing we want you to know is that Christ has died for the ungodly. He came into the world to save sinners. 
He came into this world to save sinners. He loves His church. He loves His flock. And we have the chief responsibility of proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to all who would hear. That is, all who would come to Him with sincerity of heart, believing that He died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, and now through repentance, through turning from your sins, and submitting your life wholly unto Him, completely unto Him, you will be saved. This message is for you, dear friend, this morning. To come to Christ and be saved. To be delivered. To not search any longer. The great Savior is here. He is among us. There is no sin too great. No sin that is beyond the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ask anyone here. Amen. Ask them what Christ has done for them. He has saved us. And He will save you if you come to faith. Look to Christ and live young or old. It doesn't matter. As the prophet Isaiah says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth and righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the foundation of our church covenant. If we have not the gospel, we have nothing. Everything that we do is centered upon this love. Love from God, love for God, and love for one another. Further from the gospel, we learn that our God is a promise keeper. Amen? Our God makes covenant and keeps covenant. You are here because you believe in the promises of God. And today's article of the church covenant focuses in depth on the covenant that we make one with another in this local body as members of this local church. We could call this the duties of Christian fellowship, but my aim this morning is to more unpack the idea of our responsibility as members of this church to our God-given pastors. These God-given, God-wrought relationships exist in the local church and they have such significance and meaning and beauty behind them. We will examine the relationship this morning, as we said, as what a church member has towards their pastors. And we want to see nothing more than what God's Word says about the matter. But we won't stop there. I doubt we'll have time this morning to even probably exhaust that topic. So we will see probably next week, God willing, in the adult Bible hour, to understand more of these relationships that we have one with another examining what is our responsibilities one to another, not just our pastors. But we have lost the ability to have deep and meaningful relationships in our culture, haven't we? Screens have replaced relationships. And may it never be so, dear brothers and sisters, that that is true of us. Relationships mean something. Face-to-face interactions mean something. Covenant communities of faith mean something. And so in the second part, next week, God will, and we'll open up this. With that said, let's now look and read from our church covenant. We're going to start there, and then we're going to arrive at different passages of scriptures. You have in your outline there. It says, we covenant that we shall joyfully submit to the God-appointed leaders and to the other members of this church for the sake of the well-being and the unity of the body. Of this body. And so here we arrive. We need to be honest. Up front. We arrive at a very difficult idea. Don't we? 
the biblical idea of submission. It's countercultural. If you want to be a rebel today in our culture, talk about submission and biblical principles. The word submission in our day, in our culture, is perhaps one of the most vile and offensive words to this world. We live in an anti-authority age. I will not have any authority over me. How dare you tell me what to do? But brothers and sisters, this mentality is not of God and is foreign to the pages of Scripture. Authority is a wonderful thing. All of us are under some kind of authority. Now where there is only one ultimate authority, that is God and what He has revealed in His Word, but there are God-given authorities present in our lives to which we must submit to. And if we do not submit to these God-given, God-placed authorities in our lives, then Scripture tells us that we are in great sin. Because a very important thing arises from our covenant in this article. Look there again. First, we shall joyfully submit to the God-appointed leaders of this church. And secondly, that we should joyfully submit to the other members of this church. And we're told there, don't miss this point of our covenant, which I believe is just unpacking biblical principles. We're told that this is to be done for the sake of the well-being and the unity of this local body. There's a purpose and an end behind it. Let's go, I already told you Hebrews 13, but I want, I want us to go now to Ephesians chapter 4 first. Because I believe it's important as we lay this foundation, as we seek to address what the Bible has to say about this God-given authority of pastors in the local church, we perhaps need to lay the foundation a bit. For some, this might be a bit of a review. For others, this might be something completely new. But in Ephesians 4, we read this passage and come to the question of who are the God-appointed leaders in this local church, in a local church. If we understand who they are, their functions, then I would venture to say that we can probably understand the proper way in which we are to submit to them. So who are the God-appointed leaders in the local church? And just so you know... Uh, I, I, am, I want to be transparent with this. I'm using a lot of this material in these sections from Nehemiah Cox in his booklet, Elders and Deacons. I thought it would be wise to rely on other godly men who would open up the Scriptures and set forth these ideas so that you would know that it's not just coming from myself or Pastor Wheeler. But what we're seeking to do is open up the whole counsel of God on this matter. And so we see from Ephesians 4, the Scriptures, that pastors or elders... And in times past, called bishops, are ordinary officers of the church of the living God. They are given to Christ's church as gifts for His beloved bride, and they are divinely called and divinely instituted. Their office is superior to even the office of deacon, as they are given to the care of the souls of men. Let's look there now, as I've said that, to Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. Read there along with me. And he gave himself, or he himself, excuse me, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here we see God's gift to His local church, or gifts, I should say. 
We must first note in verse 11 that he has given the church various officers or offices throughout the course of redemptive history. And we know further now that some of these offices have ceased to exist because they were given merely for the establishing and the foundation of the New Testament church. The apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists were of necessity the instruments that God chose to use to lay that foundation of the early church. Without them, you wouldn't have an early church. These were extraordinary offices. Now having ceased giving way to the ordinary offices of pastors and deacons. And here we are told that shepherds and teachers are the instruments and the means that God chooses to use in the new covenant era in the local church. Look now at verse 12 that tells us there that these pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, This is their purpose. This is what they are to do for the edification of saints. Verse 13 further reminds us that these shepherds and teachers are to be in place until Christ returns for His church at the end of the age. And so these officers here are called pastors and teachers. Other translations, if you're reading from a different translation, might have their listed shepherds and teachers. But there is no difference between a pastor or a shepherd. For a shepherd merely describes the work of a pastor. That's what he does. He is a shepherd of God's flock and his sheep. Likewise, in the New Testament, various terms are employed to describe a pastor, but they all refer to the same office, just different functions of that office. We have elders, we have overseers, and we have shepherds. They are one and the same. That is just describing merely what the pastor is supposed to be doing. These officers are sometimes called elders because of their gravity and precedence in the house of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. With respect to paternal authority, as Nehemiah Cox says, and their function in the church. Other times they're called bishops or overseers because their work is to take the oversight of the flock of God and to carry themselves as faithful watchmen who watch for the souls of the people entrusted to them. As they must give an account to the chief shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. Have that picture in your mind that a pastor and overseers to keep his eye upon the flock. To watch diligently for them. To love them carefully. To treat them tenderly. Further, it's necessary that they feed the church. They feed the church with the words of eternal life. And open the mind of God to them in the Scriptures. So that the people of God can be instructed regarding the kingdom of God for their edification and building up. Hence, they are called shepherds and teachers for these reasons. For some of you, this is review, as we've mentioned. But for others, this may be something new. Many of you have probably never been in a properly ordered biblical church. So this idea might sound foreign or strange to you. Even some of you may have come from situations in churches where you've had abusive elders, ungodly elders over you. And I am genuinely sorry for that. Abusive elders are in sin and are not being faithful to the calling that God has entrusted with them. But beloved, that doesn't change the scriptural teaching that elders have biblical authority in the church. We must go to the scriptures to see what God has said about the authority of those 
pastors in the church. So how do we guard against that? How do we guard against abusive elders, against strange teaching, or elders doing things that don't belong to them? Well, we examine next the biblical function of elders. Acts, look there with me, chapter 6. This provides perhaps the clearest prescription of what a pastor is to do in the local church. There we have the biblical function of an elder, his job description, his duty in a local congregation. So we've examined first what, who is to have the authority in the church, who is the leaders of the church. Now we're going to see the biblical function of these elders in the local church. Beginning in Acts 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So stop there. There was a need present in the local church. And then look in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now we need to be certain here. These apostles, these men who were gifted in ministering the word, they weren't above serving the congregation. They had done it. But they were merely recognizing that God had given them special gifts that they need to dedicate themselves fully to. And at the same time, God had gifted other men in the local church to dedicate themselves and gifted them to serve the congregation, especially with physical needs in mind. We need to understand that. God gives gifts to His people. And it's His prerogative to whom He gives them to. In His infinite wisdom and the providence of God, a pastor has been called to these two primary things. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. As our confession reads, and I think I put it in there for you in an outline, the work of pastors being constantly to attend the service of Christ in His churches, in the ministry of the Word and prayer, with watching for their souls as they that must give an account to Him. So from Acts 6, we are reminded not only of what an elder is responsible for, but also the importance of having biblically qualified and functioning deacons. Both offices are gifts to Christ's church. An elder cannot function biblically to their full measure without properly functioning deacons. They need one another. Deacons alleviate those physical needs so that the elders can now completely focus on the spiritual dimension of the ministry, prayer and ministry of the Word. A deacon is to be what the elder needs him to be in order to allow the elder to fulfill that God-given task for the edification of the saints. But first, let's examine. An elder is to be a man of prayer. A man dedicated to seeking the face of God on behalf of the people. Fundamentally, the most important thing for the man of God, the elder or pastor, is his own personal relationship with the Lord. His priority is his time of devotion, cultivating a relationship with Christ in order that he may be a godly man, that he may lead his family into the way of the gospel, and that he may lead the church of the living God in the way they ought to go. How can a man be leading Christ's church if he himself does not have a relationship with Christ? Second, not only is he to be a man of prayer, he is to be a man of the Word. 
This isn't just that he preaches a couple of sermons a week, and that's the extent of his ministry. Rather, he's to be fully engaged in the ministering of the Word of God, both publicly and privately, from house to house, as the pattern of Scripture puts before us. Some of the public duties that he is called to are as follows. First, in some senses, he stands between God and the people as a middle person between God and believers. He is not a mediator between God and the church, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But he does stand, in some sense, between God and the people in his public prayers and his preaching ministry. In his public prayers, he is to be the mouth of the people unto God to go before them in the exercise of those gifts and graces that Christ has furnished him with. Conceiving and pouring out the public prayers of the church to the Most High God. And second, he is to be the mouth of God to the people. To deliver the message from God and speak to them in His name. The chief responsibility of a pastor is to preach the Word. To be ready in season and out of season to convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Pastors are ministers of the new covenant and God's ambassadors unto men who are to dispense the mysteries of God to His church and they ought to be diligent workmen in that task. 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us to be diligent to present yourself to prove to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Remember who Paul was writing to, young Timothy. His chief responsibility, be diligent and show yourself to be a man mighty in the scriptures and mighty in prayer. Further, the pastors to deal with the souls and the consciences of men. This is perhaps one of the most difficult areas in the ministry of a pastor. We labor for the salvation of souls. We labor to care for the souls that God has entrusted us with. Knowing that we must give an account unto God for our faithfulness in this matter. The pastor is to press the duties of every man unto God to warn them of the wiles of Satan, to rebuke error and disorder of those who walk waywardly, and to comfort the afflicted and broken of heart. The pastor is to deliver the pure doctrine of God from the fountain of the Word, to not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God, to labor with tears among the sheep, carrying their burdens and their pains. The pastor is to have the mind of Christ Not preaching His agenda, nor Himself, but the will of the Holy Spirit found in the Scriptures. As Nehemiah Cox says, and right he is, the Word of God is sacred and must be handled with all religious respect and reverence. Divine things will admit of no trifling. Further, it's the duty of every pastor to not preach himself, but to preach Christ Jesus the Lord. When you come here, church, You're not to see any man up here, but you're to behold the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ in His glory as He is revealed in these sacred Scriptures that we have. His glory glory must be the mark of all of our labors and His grace the theme of our ministrations. It's not eloquence. It's not our abilities to find speech or rhetoric that will save the souls of men, but it is the preaching of Christ crucified. Let Christ be the theme of every sermon. Let Him dwell in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. For in Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, said one pastor. 
The elder further is to administer the ordinances of Christ as we're going to do today. He is to exercise church discipline in the right ordering as it agrees with the local body of all things pertaining to the government of the church. He is the overseer of God's house and is to rule therein, not in an overbearing or lordly way, not with a heavy-handed manner, say it's my way or the highway, but He is to rule with the mind of Christ as the people voluntarily submit themselves under His care. He is further to guard the entrance of the church with proper due diligence being given to those who desire to become members of this congregation. So much could be said, dear brothers and sisters, about the pastor's public duties, but for the sake of time, let's move on to just examine a few of his private duties. In private, he is to exercise oversight, a constant watchfulness over his people. And he ought to regularly and diligently inquire into the state of the flock. He's not to be far off on an island Not seeing Him but once a week. No, He's in to be the lives and the homes of His people. That those who are in danger to err may be redirected in those moments. That the unruly warned and rebuked. That the feeble and dejected soul be strengthened to come alongside weeping with those who are weeping, carrying those burdens of the people. He's to be there to comfort and encourage. And those that are beset with difficulties and temptations, He's to... Help them and relieve them in so much as He is able. It's as Acts 20.20 says, The Apostle Paul proclaimed with a sure confidence how I have kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. The Apostle Paul was a man of God who knew the realities of the care of the souls of men. Look there now in 1 Thessalonians 2, I believe it's in your outline. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10-12 You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Colossians 1, 28-29 Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. 1 Peter 5, 1 The elders who among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, keep in mind Peter speaking, and also a partaker of the glory that we will be revealed Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is what the elders, the pastors, are to be given to. As much as I would desire to open more about the biblical function of elders, we've laid this foundation briefly of what a biblical elder is and what he is to do. We now must press on to examine what are now our responsibilities to our pastors in this local body. I know everyone likes practicality, right? That's where everything where the rubber meets the road and our covenant states it this way, giving us very practical advice we shall joyfully submit to the God-appointed leaders of this church. 
Now this phrase is taken directly from Hebrews 13, and I want you to turn there now. We'll finally get to Hebrews 13. And we're going to briefly exposit this text and allow that to kind of be the parameters for which we see what our responsibilities as members, and I'm including myself because I myself am a member of this church and I likewise have responsibilities to my pastors that I must be faithful. So this is including every one of us who are here. Hebrews 13. We're going to see that joyfully submitting to your pastors is done by examining your responsibility to your pastors. Remember, keep tucked in your mind the two primary duties of the pastor. To devote himself to prayer and to be a minister of the word. Not to be busy himself with other things so that he neglects those two aspects. But prayer and the word. Let's read Hebrews 13, 17 now. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls and those who must give an account. And let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. Now as we open up Hebrews 13, I want to give you a set of responsibilities. They're not exhaustive. These come from John Angel James, who wrote beautifully, I believe, in opening up this passage. But we're also going to see other texts of Scripture that inform us of what is our responsibility to our pastors. The first and most obvious from Hebrews 13, 17 is obedience and submission. Obedience and submission are to be given to your pastors. That is our first responsibility as members of this local church. But not a blind obedience. We need to be careful. Not just anything He tells you to do. But you're to look to them and obey them because they teach you the Word of God and you trust them. You know that when they ask you to do something that they have biblical warrant and precedence for doing so. You realize that they have your best interest in mind and they are teaching you God's most precious and infallible word to you. Well, submission to what now? The laws of Christ's house as put in execution by them. The teachings of Scripture, those things that come from the word of God. As we saw already in our adult Bible class, the authority lies in the word of God. And so when a pastor asks you or tells you something that comes from there, the authority is not coming from the pastor, but it's coming from the infallible word of God, from God himself. And so the pastor is to represent Christ in that way. He ought to be careful about the things which he tells his members to do. If they not be found in Scripture, he has no business even opening his mouth. But obedience is not suggested by submission by force. And we need to understand that. But obedience here is suggested by a result of persuasion. The pastors of the local church are so winsome to their congregation that it's an easy thing to submit and obey to them. Because the congregation knows that these men are doing nothing but holding before them the Word of God. This means that you trust your pastors. You have been won over by them. Your first instinct is not to doubt them, but to trust them. If when you talk to your pastor, your first instinct is always to doubt them, to question what they're saying, then you don't trust your pastor and you have to figure out why that is. It could be something that you have done. It could be something that your pastors have done. But this submission and obedience... It does not mean authoritarianism. 
It doesn't mean an unqualified obedience and submission to pastors in all matters, no matter what they say. This is not what we mean, nor what the Bible means. But submission and obedience in all things biblical and those things which the pastor has authority over. You remember the example from a few months back when we talked in Romans 13 about uh, submission to authorities? right? You remember the example that I gave you about going to bed at 8 o'clock, that your pastors want you to go to bed at 8 o'clock? Well, a pastor has no business or authority to tell you what time you need to go to sleep. He is outside of his lane. It's not becoming of him. Christ has not given him that type of authority. He must remember his stead in the house of God, and that is where he exercises authority, not in the family. Matthew Henry, in his old and really underappreciated commentary, he offers this pointed one-sentence summary. Christians must submit to be instructed by their ministers and not think themselves too wise, too good, or too great to learn from them. And when they find that ministerial instructions are agreeable to the written word, they must obey them. And that's the principle behind it. And I think Matthew Henry hits it spot on. But why? That's the big question. Why? Why do we submit and obey our pastors? Well, they're keeping watch over our souls. They watch not for themselves. They they, they watch not for their worldly gain or advantage. But they watch for the estates of men. They care and love your souls. They want to do you good, to comfort you, to edify you, to feed you with the knowledge and understanding, and we want to see sinners saved. Why else? Because your pastors must give an account. Pastors must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account if we have been faithful or not in our task. We must give an account to Him for our ministries. For the use of our talents as, that's been committed to us. And of the souls that have been put, put under our charge and care. How we have discharged our duty to the souls of men. How we have behaved towards them under the ministry of the word. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Next, Hebrews tells us. It gives us the why. But also it tells us more of that. Let your pastors do this with joy. Don't be a thorn in the flesh to your pastors. Don't act in such a way that it causes them to groan when they are around you. But let them have joy, brothers and sisters, in shepherding and pastoring your soul. Notice the injunction here is on the believers, the members of the local church. Let them do it with joy as much as possible with you. But I want you to keep the illustration in your mind. The sheep, the shepherd, the pastor and the flock. The loving pastor who always is there to protect them and provide for the sheep. The sheep don't usually know what's best, do they? That's why they need a shepherd. And the same is true with God's flock. They need shepherds. Men who will tell them the truth. Men who will fend off the wolves. And men who will love them with the love of Christ. So let me just give you a few practical examples on this issue. When your pastors tell you something, take it to heart. Go into the Lord. Search the Scriptures. See if indeed it's true, those things that we're telling you. Be considerate with your pastors. Pray for the best time to come to your pastors with those things which are on your mind. Don't come to Him right before He's about to preach a sermon and tell Him that the sermon He preached last week was the worst you've ever heard in your life. (laughs) 
that's not the most opportune time. But be diligent. If you need to talk to him about his sermon, you're welcome to talk to us about our sermons. But we just ask that you would find that diligent time, the best time to do those things. Don't come five minutes before service starts and unload everything that he or she said to you this week that he did that was so awful. But just be considerate. But we want to hear those things. Be careful, church. Seek for those opportune and right moments. But take what your pastors say to heart. We are not perfect men. But this church has given us the vote of confidence to be the spiritual leaders of this church and to be pastors of your souls. And it is a privilege and an honor. It is a joy even for us. Something we are so thankful for and thankful to be able to do. And we want to do it. So don't hold back from your pastors either. We love you and care for you and want to know what is going on in your lives. Second responsibility. We'll move through these rather quickly. The responsibility of prayer. This is now the members' responsibility, second responsibility of their pastors. Just as your pastors are called to be in prayer for you, so likewise you are to pray diligently for your pastors. Paul begged for the prayers of the saints. And if he needed prayer, so do your pastors. I am begging you for your prayers, church. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The main context, of course, is here. Human authorities. Praying for those who have the authority over us. But pastors likewise are in a position of authority within the local church. And you need to pray for them. If Christians ought to pray for the leaders of governments, how much more should they pray for the leaders of Christ's church? Pray regularly. Pray intentionally. And pray specifically for your pastors. Listen to John Angel James again. Prayer, if it be sincere, always increases our affection for the object. We never even feel our dearest friends to be so near and dear to us as when we have commended them to the goodness of God. Prayer is the best extinguisher of enmity and the best fuel of the flame of love. If some professing Christians were to take from them the time they spend in praising their ministers and from others which they employ in blaming them and both were devoted to the act of praying for them, the former would find still more cause for admiration and the latter far less reason for censure. Pray for your pastors. We need your prayer. Amen. Practical examples of prayers. Pray for the protection against Satan. Pray for your pastor's heart. Pray for your pastor's pursuit of holiness. Pray for spiritual encouragement for your pastors. Pray for the physical health of your pastors. The ministry takes a lot out of the body. Long days, long nights, much stress. Pray even for his family. Pray for his marriage. Pray that God would preserve and protect it. That he and his wife would love one another in Christ. And that God would keep them both from temptations. Pray even for his wife. Pray for her longevity, her contentment. The work of the pastor is even very difficult for his wife. She goes long hours without seeing him. He doesn't have a fixed schedule all the time. Most every Sunday the pastor's wife is a single mother as he is preaching the word of God. Pray for her. Pray for his children. That he would lead them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that the Lord would be pleased to save his children from an early age. Pray for wisdom for him. As we read in James 1, pray for doctrinal faithfulness. As Spurgeon says, no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. 
And I want to tell you, church, this morning, nothing is more important to me as your pastor than to know that you pray for me. I need your prayers. Pastor Wheeler needs your prayers. Thirdly, the responsibility to give them financial support. The scriptures are clear as well. We want to examine 1 Corinthians 9, but we'll examine just a few others. We understand that it is a moral law of God to provide financially for your pastor so they can dedicate themselves to the work of the ministry. And I do believe you church understand this principle well. If, if the man of God doesn't have to work outside of this church, he can completely focus on the ministry and you will benefit a hundredfold from it. This is more important than having a nice big building or any commodity. Having a pastor dedicated to the work of the ministry is one of the most important things the church can ever have. Provision for his temporal comfort. You cannot jot these verses down to look at them later for the sake of time. We'll gloss over them. But Galatians 6.6, 6, 1 Timothy 5.17 and 1 Corinthians 9.13 and 14. Real quickly, Galatians 6.6, 6, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. And 1 Corinthians 9.13 and 14, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You can also see, I think I've attached there from our confession of faith. You can read that for later. But you see his duties and the church's responsibility there. Let's move now to the fourth responsibility. Church, you bear a responsibility to attend with your pastors in their trials. Pastors are human as well. They're not perfect we spend some many times and hours counseling, ministering the words and the trials of the congregations. But there may become a time when your pastor is in a trial himself. Galatians 6.2 is the principle that we operate from here. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Even the burdens of your pastors. Not many people often ask a pastor how he is doing. How his encouragement level is. Is there anything that they need to talk about? Sympathy with Him in personal, relative and official sorrows and anxieties. Remember that your pastor has struggles too. And this is why all the more you need to be diligent in praying for him. Fifthly, the responsibility of trust and respect. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. There we read, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. The call is for all church members to respect those who labor among them and who are over them in the Lord. Through the Apostle Paul, Jesus is speaking clearly to His holy church. Hear and do what they say. Speak to them in a respectful and dignified way. Give them their due. Adhere to their counsel and advice as so far is agreeable to the Word of God. Your pastors are laboring among you, your church. 
Your pastors are laboring in the word and doctrine. Your pastors are giving themselves to meditation, reading and prayer. Your pastors labor in secret to find out the meaning of the word of God. We are preaching the word of God in season and out of season. Your pastors are faithfully dispensing all the ordinances of God to you. We are diligently performing our duties to our office. Your pastors are willing to spend and be spent for the glory of Christ and for the good of your souls. This is not to brag or to boast to say, look at us, what we're doing. But this is to know what your pastors occupy their time with. We labor and care greatly for your souls. And the Scriptures tell us that we must esteem them highly in love because of that work, because of what they do. Pastors should be honorably thought of. High in the affections of the saints. You should esteem them better than yourself. We should all have that mindset one to another. But this should be always done in love. Not in fear. Not in fear of punishment. Not in hypocrisy. Not in word and in tongue only. But from the heart, a real affection. We must love one another, church. Amen. Be at peace among yourselves. This even applies to being at peace with your pastors. Don't disagree with them at every trivial occasion that you can find opportunity to do so. Or make them offenders just for a single word wrongly said. But seek to understand them. Give them the benefit of the doubt in all things. Be charitable with your pastors. Cultivate love and friendship with them. Pastors need friends too. And we want friends. We don't want just to be men who are up here and don't see you throughout the week. We want to be your friends and share life together and be living among you. Let's move on sixthly. The responsibility of attendance upon their ministrations. This is simply meaning when we have our stated meetings, you have the responsibility to be here. That is part of owing the responsibility not just to your pastors, but also to Christ and being obedient to His Word. This attendance should be constant, not occasional. As John Angel James says again, some of our members give unspeakable pain to their pastors by the irregular, irregular, their irregularness of their visits to the house of God. A little inclemency of weather or the slightest indisposition of body is sure to render their seats vacant. Prayer service, adult Bible class, morning and evening worship. You should also encourage one another to attend upon the ministry of their pastors. Encourage other members. Invite people to come hear the Word of God ministered here. Invite your friends, your family, your neighbors. Invite them all to come and hear the Word of God. Amen. Further, you should not only be present in body, but present in mind. And this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges for us all. You should not be distracted. Thinking of the things of this world, not paying attention to the sermon, allowing Satan to steal that word away from you. But you should come prepared, engaged, locked in, asking God for help to be prepared. You should also not draw away others from hearing, nor be distracting to the rest of the congregation. Nothing brings a pastor more joy than to see his church, the church of Christ, walking faithfully with Christ. To see them pursuing holiness. To see our spiritual children walking in the truth. Seventh, let's continue. The responsibility of service. This will be brief, but simply church members have the responsibility towards their pastors to serve in the local church. 
To serve in all things in the church that he or she can dedicate themselves to so that their pastors can fully dedicate themselves to the work of the ministry, prayer, and the ministry of the Word. So do whatever is possible within yourself to help serve the local church. Let's continue next. Eighth, the responsibility of protecting your pastor's reputation. 1 Timothy 5.19 Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. You, have, you must have tender regard for the reputation of your pastor. Guard how you speak of your pastor. Don't focus on his faults in front of others. We know that your pastors have many faults. You know that, church. But if you think he's weak in an area, if you think he is sinning in an area, then go to him privately in secret. Don't talk about it among the others. And defend him against the groundless attacks of others. Don't participate in listening to those things. Next is the responsibility. And this is where we'll end on this responsibility is to imitate then your pastors. Going back to Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 7. We read there, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. In tandem with that, Hebrews 6, 11, and 12, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate your pastors as they imitate Christ. That is all we need to say there. And so in just the concluding brief moments that we have together, I just want to make a few applications for us. I put some practical things in there, but kind of wrapping everything together. And like I said, we'll examine more in the adult Bible class on the issues of how we relate one to another. But first, I want to speak to those who perhaps aren't a member of this local church. What I want to say to you very lovingly is you need to understand that if you're not a member of a local church, you do not have a pastor. A relationship that you do not have a relationship that's been entered into by covenant. Pastors are not pastors to the visitors. But pastors are pastors to those who have committed to this local body of Christ. We must give an account for those who have entered into that covenant relationship. This is why we're preaching on the church covenant. To see its biblical grounds, its necessity... Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a member of this church, but we want you to be a church somewhere that you can agree to and go to with a good conscience and have somebody watching out for your soul. If you're in Christ, we desire for you to become members, of course, of our church. We would love nothing more than you to become members of this church. We desire to become your pastors, to enter into the special, privileged, covenantal relationship with you and also with your brothers and sisters in Christ here. So if you're thinking about these things, pursue those steps to becoming a member. Meet and talk with us. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ. We would love nothing more than see you become a member of this local congregation. And if it's not here, we will help you find somewhere where you can go to do that. But now for my dear brothers and sisters, this congregation, I want to commend you because I do believe unto the Lord you excel in this wonderful work of showing that responsibility to your pastors. If you're lacking in an area or the Lord has brought something to mind this morning, pray that God would help you. Don't just feel the overwhelming guilt and say, I'm just terrible at this. This is not an evaluation to see how bad you are doing, but it's just a wonderful, gentle, biblical reminder of our responsibility to our pastors. 
Even I, as a pastor of this church, have responsibilities to my pastor here. It's a joy, dear church, for me to be your pastor. I love each of you and I know Pastor Wheeler shares the same type of love. The love of Christ. But we must understand, submission is an attitude of the heart. We are not demanding you submit to us or else. We're not demanding you obey or else. No, we want to be winsome with you. We want you to trust us and to know that we will do you good. Authority, brothers and sisters, is a gift from God. Authority is a good thing. We must see it that way when it's being exercised according to the Scriptures. While your pastors are sinful and weak men, there is one who is perfect and glorious and worthy of all praise and honor. And that's who we need to draw our attention to now. The Lord Jesus Christ. The great chief shepherd. The one who gave himself for his people. The one who loves them with a love far beyond all imagination. This is the kind of service and love that your pastors are to imitate. The love of Christ. And it is such a daunting task. But we must keep our eyes set firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. May, dear church, our hope never be in any man, but only in Christ. The last passage we're going to examine this morning before we conclude. Flip with me to Jeremiah 23. And I believe or I believe I put it in the outline. So you can just read there. Jeremiah 23. It should be on the last page of the outline. And listen to these words as you think about these shepherds and what the prophet Jeremiah was proclaiming would come in the new covenant dimension. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Dear church, let us look to Christ this morning, finding the forgiveness for all of our sins, the hope that is in the gospel and thank him for his provision. For his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we have had the opportunity to return to examine the work and the duties, the task of an elder. Lord, help us to remember our responsibilities to our pastors. Father, that we would, above all else, seek to understand your word and see and search if indeed these things are true. Father, be with your people and assure us of your glorious presence. And Lord, we even do pray that you would be pleased to save many here in this place today. Amen.